to Red Pill Torah, calling believers from man's institutions to God's instructions. Thank you for joining us on another podcast. I'm Tim. And I'm Miss. Thank you for joining us. And if you've been blessed by this podcast, please tell a friend. Yeah, please tell a friend. Follow our podcast online at redpiltorah.podbean.com. Find Red Pill Torah on Facebook and Twitter, or email us at redpiltorah at gmail.com. Last time, we talked about what it means to be grafted in. Paul describes God's people as an olive tree, with some of the original branches broken off and wild olive branches grafted in their place. The tree represents Israel, and the wild olive branches represents Gentile believers. By being grafted onto the tree of Israel, the Gentile believers enter a covenant relationship with God, the same covenant relationship Israel has. Mm -hmm. Today, we have more to share on what it means to be grafted into Israel. Daddy, you have some great examples. Uh, Why don't you share them with our listeners? Okay, let's jump right in. God describes his relationship with Israel as a marriage. That analogy is also applied between the Messiah and the church. Let's use some marriage-related analogies, shall we? Okay. So, suppose some guy says to another man's wife, Hey, I bought you a wedding ring. I've been faithful to you. I brought you some delicious vegan food and tickets to the movies. Let's spend the whole day together. Do this guy's actions create a covenant relationship between him and the married woman? Of course not, Tim. Not only is she already married... But just doing what a good husband would do doesn't make this guy a husband to her. There's no covenant relationship. Besides, what if she doesn't like vegan vegan food or going to the movies? No, that's right. Great points, Mama. Just like the guy's attempts to do nice things for a married woman don't make them married, keeping Torah does not create a covenant relationship. Works can't save us. We are saved or grafted in by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. We respond to his grace through faith in his Yeshua, his salvation. Daddy, this reminds me of the story of Cornelius in Acts 10. Hmm. He was a Gentile and an officer in the Roman army, doing all the right things, like helping the poor and praying to the God of Israel regularly. The Bible says that he feared God and was well-liked by the Jewish people. Cornelius was not in covenant with God while doing these good works. He was a stranger to the covenants, without God in this world and without hope. God showed really great grace to Cornelius. The angel who appeared to him said that his good deeds were noticed by God. Mm -hmm. Yet he still told Cornelius to send for Peter and, quote, he will tell you what you should do. When Cornelius heard the gospel from Peter, he and the Gentiles with him were grafted in. Mm-hmm. I would say, though, uh, Cornelius's attitude was clearly right towards God. He worshipped out of his own free will. No one forced this Roman officer to worship the God of Israel. True, Daddy. That makes me also wonder about many believers' attitudes today. I think that being in covenant should make you want to keep Torah or mm-hmm. God's instructions. Just like a married man should want to do nice things for his wife, and vice versa. Yep, sounds good. You know, earlier you raised the point about whether or not the woman likes vegan food or movies. Remember that? Mm -hmm. What was the significance of that point? Well, 
My point was, we may have good intentions in our service to God, like the weird guy meant well with the vegan food and movies. Guess so. But it's like you said in the last episode, our good intentions do not override God's instructions. We need to do things in the way that He wants, in the way that He likes, not in the way we think it should be done. It's all about Him. So true, Mama. So true. Let's try one more marriage example, shall we? Okay. Okay, so suppose a husband does not want to spend time with his wife. Yikes. Or do nice things for her. In his words, it just feels like works. He works hard all day. And in his words, uh, now the wife is asking him to do more stuff. Why can't I just be free of all the rules and demands, he says. You need to love and accept me, just as I am. I love you, but in my own way. And I shouldn't have to prove it by doing stuff. You know my heart. Now, would you say that this husband has the right attitude towards his covenant relationship? Whew, not at all. Mm-hmm. That's the wrong attitude for someone in a relationship. And I, I think I see where you're going with this example. I feel this is the attitude of some believers. We're saved, yet we don't believe we have to do what pleases the one who saved us. Wow. It's assumed that if we do, we're trying to earn the salvation he gave us. That's as ridiculous as saying, I want to marry someone, but I don't want to do what makes them happy. All that matters is that they make me happy. Our love for our Savior should propel us to want to do what pleases him. And according to John 15 and 10, if we keep his commandments, we will be loved by him, even as he kept his father's commandments and is loved by the father. We should want to do what our Heavenly Father says. Wow. You know, being in a covenant relationship should change you. Mm -hmm. I think it should make you love what the other person loves. Then it should compel you to be on the same page with them, having shared goals and interests. To me, it's more about want to than have to. On this journey, we've had believers challenge us, you know, saying things like, It doesn't take all of that to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. or you're relying on works to be saved, or these laws are just for the Jewish people, or uh, are you a Jew now? Are you converting to Judaism? You know, it's really funny how obeying God's instructions makes one a Jew. But it's less funny that many believers display what I perceive as open hostility towards things that they see as Jewish. But the Bible describes these same things as God's ways. We are grafted in, into Israel. So, I say, let's learn to love what and who God loves. Mm -hmm. Miss, let's talk about our Old Testament example now. Okay. The book of Ruth tells us about a Hebrew family with two sons. That family moved to Moab because there was a famine in Israel. Ruth, a Moabite woman, married one of the sons in this family. The other son also married a Moabite woman named Orpah. After some time, both the father and the sons died, leaving the mother Naomi and the daughters-in-law Ruth and Orpah as widows. Because the daughters-in-law were still young, Naomi tried to talk Ruth and Orpah into going back to their Moabite families. Orpah eventually left Naomi, but Ruth refused 
to go. Her answer to Naomi gives words to what I think the grafted-in believers should say to God and to Israel. Mama, please read those beautiful words from Ruth 1.16. Okay. Betomir Ruth, altifegeyi vi laazevech lashuv maakareyech ki alasher telki elech uva asher teleni alin amech ami velohaik elohai. And in English, that's, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Wow, that was really beautiful Hebrew, miss. Thanks. You know, having two Gentiles consider leaving their relationship with a Jew, that's an interesting setup. Mm -hmm. One Gentile leaves to pursue her own interests. The other expresses her desire to stay with the terms of a blood covenant. We'll talk more about the blood covenant in a later podcast. Ruth spoke the words of a woman who understands what it means to be grafted in, into Israel. Her attitude is amazing to me. Me too. What also amazes me is the scriptures don't tell of something good happening to make Ruth want to stay with Naomi. Mm. All of the Jewish husbands died unexpectedly. Yet instead of being bitter or angry... She's still determined to stay with Naomi and with Naomi's God. There must have been something she learned about the God of Israel that made her want to stay. Yeah, must have been. You know, gratefully, we see these days large groups of Christians standing with Israel in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Some support political positions that affirm the nation of Israel. Some have taken a renewed interest in understanding the Hebrew origins and foundations of Christianity. I believe that God is moving in all of this to accomplish His will for this time. We want to be in the center of what He's doing. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, there's a Gentile woman in the New Testament also who displayed a similar tenacity in challenging circumstances. Matthew 15:22 through 28 tells the story of a Canaanite woman mm. whose daughter was troubled by a demon. She begged Jesus to have mercy on her and heal her daughter. But he told her that, quote, he was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Wow. She then proceeded to worship him, saying, Lord, Lord, help me. And he answered that it was not good to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. She replied with, the dogs get to eat what falls from their master's table. Jesus answered, your faith is great, so you can have what you want. And her daughter was made whole at that moment. You know, this Gentile woman acknowledged that what she requested did not rightfully belong to her. It was the children's bread, mm -hmm. meaning the Jewish people's right. But still, she persisted in faith. She wanted in on something that was not hers by right. Ruth showed that same tenacity. Eventually, Ruth's faith resulted in her marrying back into the covenant people and into the bloodline of the Messiah. Wow. Do we as believers have faith like that? Miss and I recently read an article by a Jewish believer in Jesus. The article basically said that Gentiles don't have to obey the Torah mm. because we were never asked to. 
Torah obedience is for Jews, not Gentiles. You know, a lot of churches embrace and teach that doctrine. But miss, while we love and esteem um, the brethren from both sides as brethren to us, we do reject that position. That's right. As we look to the scripture for direction, Isaiah 56 is especially clear. It says, and I paraphrase from verse 3, Don't let the son of the Gentile, who has joined himself to God, say, God has separated me from his people. Verse 6 picks up with, The sons of the Gentile, that join themselves to God to serve him and to love his name. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and obeys his covenant, God will bring them to his holy mountain and make them joyful in his house of prayer. God even promised to accept their sacrifices. Please, listeners, read this entire chapter, Isaiah 56. Of course, I have some questions for you. What believer would not want God to bring them to his high place and to make them joyful in his house and to accept their offerings? Who wouldn't want that? What believer would not love God's name? Many believers don't even know his name, and too many believers feel that keeping his Sabbath is bondage, mm. Judaizing, or works-based salvation. You know, it's time for a red pill moment. Let me ask you, what would you do if you discovered that the way you live your life and some of your beliefs were not in line with God's instructions? Would you change, or would you take the blue pill? Only you can answer that question. And only you can accept the invitation from our Creator to join yourself to Him, to keep His Sabbath, to love His name, to be brought to His holy mountain, and to have Him make you joyful in His house. You don't have to accept His invitation, but don't you want to? I know I do. I love His instruction, His people, and everything about Him. Our God's things are not Jewish things. They are God things and that includes his calendar. You can find this in Leviticus 23. Please take a moment to read this entire chapter and feel free to mark it in your Bible. This chapter outlines the holidays that our God established. Somehow all but one has been blown off the church calendar. We'll talk about that later. Verse two tells us that these are God's feasts. So if you're grafted into the tree of Israel, you should be observing them too. You know, some believers refer to Colossians 2 and 16 to say that we don't have to observe the Lord's feasts. Mm -hmm. But would it surprise you to know that when you read this scripture in context, Paul is actually telling these believers to not let people judge them for keeping God's holy days. Right. When we read the Bible using the Torah as context, we often get a different message than what we may think the text is saying. Well... That's it for today's podcast. Please go back and read over the scriptures we shared. And in our next podcast, we'll pick up where Tim left off with Colossians 2.16 and talk more about God's calendar. Thanks for spending 15 or so minutes with us at Red Pill Torah, where you can handle the truth. Handle the truth.